Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat, Ransomware as a Service. I'm joined today with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, most recently with Dell, and Ted Harrington, author of Hackable, How to Do Application Security Right. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasotornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor, AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With the Zero Trust Isolation Platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. My name is Sia. Today, super excited, we are joined by Paul Fredrickson, a very good friend of mine and cybersecurity consultant. Say hi, Paul. Hello, everyone. Hi, Sia. (laughs) And today, our super special guest is Ted Harrington, author of Hackable. You'll also probably be familiar with him with the Hackable podcast. So uh, like all fellow podcasters, I just like to do a hello. I do hello. Ted, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So guys, as we all know, I'm going to ask you some questions that might be off wall every now and then continue to converse with one another if it makes sense and ignore me. If not, you can also enjoy and indulge some of my uh, non sequiturs because what's killing me and chapping my hide as a business owner is this advent and I'm hearing about ransomware as a service. To me, it feels like now it's no longer just a fear of nation state type attacks with ransomware looking to get whatever. And we'll talk about that shortly. But now I feel like ransomware as a service is opening up the doors to yahoos out there that could get this, you know, these, these malicious, you know, uh, code, if you will, and then now attack the little people. So help me understand if I'm going crazy here, but ransomware as a service, as I am understanding is the ability for, software as a service equivalent, but for ransomware. Is, is that the simplest terms of describing this? Yeah, I can take the first stab at it. And then Paul, I'd be curious sure. to hear what you think. Uh, so here's what's really interesting about ransomware as a service. I mean, you described it correctly. Uh, but what <laughs> ransomware as a service is, this is the simplest way to think about it. It is the making this attack technique available to everybody. And this is ultimately what happens with kind of every attack technique that winds up being invented is that someone invents it, it requires a high level of skill or high level of computational power or access to resources in order to execute this attack. And that's why these types of things tend to start with nation states or organized crime or some of the well-funded organizations. And then somewhere along the way, someone says, well, I could take this and then deliver it to a broader market where people with lower skills or lower access to resources could could go take advantage of this. And that's exactly what ransomware as a service is. It's like, you don't have to actually write the uh, the ransomware code itself. You can just go subscribe to it and then go deploy your attack. So you're 100% right. It's making it available to everybody, uh, whether or not they're, I wouldn't, mar- I wouldn't marginalize them and consider the people who are going to use this just as like the yahoos out there. I mean, I think sophisticated people are going to take advantage of this too. But the point is it becomes available now to a much broader pool of attackers. 
Well, to Ted's point, I mean, this is this is the wonder and the beauty of the internet, right? Is a new tool gets introduced, and in the beginning, you know, it's only nation states or you know the NSA or the Russians that have it or the Chinese, and then you know eventually that tool gets out there and that idea gets out there, and now everybody has access to the same sorts of infrastructure that used to only be available to you know large corporations, and and the government. So yeah, now I mean, it's uh, turned everything into a service. I mean. Most of the companies, you know, they host themselves on AWS. They don't want to run their own data centers anymore. Same thing with this. It's like, I, I'm a busy cyber criminal. I, I can't be bothered, you know, with all the aspects of this. You know, I got to go out and figure out how to spend my money. I, you know, I can pay my cyber criminal buddy here, you know, some money and he can, you know, he can make some profit and then I can make some profit. Or she. She, correct. They. That's a that's a cool way you phrased it, framed it too, Paul. Uh, the the phrase that you used, you said, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a busy cyber criminal, and mm-hmm. I think people listening to this might thought that that phrase was going to end differently. I'm a busy professional. It's like, oh wait a minute, I'm an attacker. And and what's really cool about the way you phrased that is a, a really important truth that people should take away from this conversation, which is that the attackers out there, they're just like you and me. They are human beings. They have hopes and dreams and aspirations. They're working towards a larger purpose. They're pursuing some mission. And I think a lot of people think of attackers as this like this evil monster in a corner who just wants to see the world burn. And no doubt some of them absolutely are that. But the majority of them are not that, you know, they're they're trying to pursue some cause and ransomware is one way they can pursue it. And I love the way that you you framed it that, you know, they're, they're just like us. They're busy trying to go do something. Yeah, they just they just choose to use hacking as their uh, as their vocation. That's their, exactly that's their tool of trade. Yeah, but I mean, but again, that that's where it goes to black hat or white hat, and what's the other yeah. one I've heard? Gray hat, red hat. There's a lot of hats. That's all you got. <laughs> Wait, I'm waiting for the fuchsia hat. I'm just kidding. No. So okay, so let so if we are going to go and jump into the mind of a, of a hacker, for example, so what would motivate you if, if we're going to talk about us being typical? hackers what would be that motivation other than money money is a big one but what else is there because we know there's more than that there's more life than just them it could just be a business motivation right like this is my competitor's coffee shop that i want to you know take down so that i spent i spent a lot of time in my book actually answering that exact question why why would someone want to do this um why would someone want to attack and you're exactly right. A lot of people always think that attackers are just based on they're motivated by profit. And a lot of them are organized criminals, no doubt, are, are motivated by profit. But there's a whole other collection of motivations and ransomware can be used for each of these different ones where the money itself isn't even necessarily the point. Um, so, uh, Paul, you just mentioned one, certainly competitive advantage or corporate espionage is typically what um, I refer to that as. But some attackers just they just want to prove they can do it, right? It's just an exploration. Some attackers, their motivation is their they have some sort of cause. Like this is what hacktivists do. They want to be able to say, I agree with this or I disagree with this, and I'm making a stance now. Um, some just are out for revenge. I mean, that's where certain groups of uh, internal attackers fall into that, where they get passed over for a promotion and they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, get back at the man for, you know, screwing me over in some way. And so there's probably, I don't know, a a couple dozen different motivations across the board. Well, it it goes back to what you originally said, right? Like this is, these are just tools 
and how people use tools is entirely up to what motivates them to get out of bed in the morning. You know, some people want to, yeah, get back at, I, I believe there was the, the giant hack that happened out in San Francisco. It wasn't exactly ransomware as a service, but it was like a disgruntled employee who went around and he changed all the passwords on all the networking equipment, locked everybody out and turned off the network of one of the government organizations, you know, and then they had no one else who could figure it out. I think it was San Francisco, but you know, that was a pure revenge motive. Again, that goes back to then. Okay. So as an organization, I mean, we hear, we we talk about zero trust all the time, right? Like you have to assume that as long as humans exist, you have to trust nothing. Right. So, so how does one do that then? So what kind of innovation is going to help drive to protect us from ransomware as a service, as it matures, ransomware attacks mature, other attacks mature. So what are we looking at then you guys from like, is it always going to be, and I've said this before, is it always going to be a cat and mouse where, you know, one thing happens and we have to catch up or is it going to be, there's an opportunity where we know what's coming. And so we preempt it. What are we looking at to innovate and, and, and mitigate as much as possible? Well, I mean, you certainly use the right word. It's uh, it's innovation. And the way that I always think about it is it's it's an arms race. You describe it as this this cat and mouse game. Will it always be that? Or is there a way uh, that that won't happen? And I mean, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but my anticipation is it will forever be that, that there is this constant battle. And if we want to oversimplify it and like make it all Hollywood, it's like this battle between good and bad. Um, <laughs> do, do, whether or not. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's that, I don't know, but there is <laughs> always going to be this struggle and each side is constantly trying to get better. And that's why one of the things that I'm always arguing, not arguing, it's not like people necessarily disagree, but one of the cases I'm always trying to make is that the fundamental core to any security discipline, we're talking about ransomware as a particular subset right now, but all of security boils down to this one idea, it's about getting better. Your no system is ever going to be done. It's not, you're never like security's over done. I can go do something else now. It's like, am I better today than I was tomorrow? Well, am I better today than I was yesterday? And will I be better tomorrow than I am today? And because of that, you know, that's what defenders are thinking. That's what the attackers are thinking too. And I just don't see a scenario where that battle stops. No, it's, it's, it's definitely an offense versus defense type of a situation, right? Where it's like when the offense approves, then the defense has to approve. And there's, you know, quite a lot of discussions going on right now. And even in the, on the nation state level, because of the solar winds hack, you know, we typically, we meaning, you know, the, the United States for back of a uh, better term, they spent all their money on offensive technologies and, you know, uh, some, Articles are reporting, you know, to the fact of 10 to one versus, you know, offense, you know, offense versus defense. And it's the defense that needs to be strengthened across the board to have a, a chance, you know, at these kind of ransomware things, because it's, it's no longer that they're only going after the very large companies with the, the, you know, the highly valuable companies, they're going after everybody now because it's, uh, everybody is reliant on information technology and it's an evolving landscape, unfortunately. And then that's what I think that's what really keeps bringing it back and concerning me is as we move to a connected world, right? Um, we're talking about IoT everything. Um, it, it just, again, if I'm going to, let's say for my home, let's say for, uh, let's be selfish and be home. Um, 
and my home network is now becoming a what should have been a 10 node network now is like 150 nodes because everything's connected now my toaster and all that stuff you know how does <coughs> excuse me how does how does one even think to protect themselves? You, as a home user, I'm not gonna, yeah, I got a basic firewall, right? But, and, and I got some software that sits on my, you know, PC or, or the laptop. Um, we can't expect everyone to have the same level layers security, you know, always on top of their patches, security patches and updates. Um, is there going to be a place where maybe somehow it's centralized for these types of deployment where it's, You've got your basic homeowner who's got, you know, well, critical you, data. To, to interrupt you a little bit, they, they you kind of did the perfect lay-in for zero trust, right? Like you're, you're now to the point where your home network is as complicated as, you know, the beginning networks of large companies where they just had a switch and a firewall and you have, everybody has three devices, you know, like I'll have an iPhone, an iPad, you know, Apple TV, you know, we'll stay Apple centric here, you know, I'll have my Apple laptop. So you can have this multiplication. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having fun with Sia because I know she doesn't like the Apple products so much. Uh, but, you know, it's like she said, there's 10, you can have 10 devices per person easily, you know, and it's, it's, it's not to the point where the only way, you know, no, nobody has the interest. To me, it's the interest of the home user that they don't care. They just want, you know, they want to be able to play, you know, play what, Ever they want on whatever device they want, they they don't want to have to think about security, and you know the unless each of the devices themselves take care of the security, they're not going to do the security integration work because that's hard. That's you know I've I've made a career out of doing that stuff. That's you know, nobody, even companies don't want to do that or pay for it, right? So you you know that's why I think the Google Chromebook is the example I always give people. They don't want to think about security. They just want to know. Hey, if something goes wrong with this Google Chromebook, I can just blast it away and then download the new version of it. And all of my important settings are kept up on the Google cloud. And then I can have essentially a new laptop because that's, that's, you know, the old IT crowd joke of, you know, have you tried turning it off and on again? And that's unfortunately when you don't want to deal with complexity and you just want something to work, that, that's what people want. Well, I think, okay, if you're asking for convenience and, and, and you're willing to connect up your home, um, you know, like the home nest or whatever type, I'm not picking on nest, but that's what I'm seeing. Product. We're on, on point. <laughs> okay. So, so, but it's not always like, you know, as we were talking about this though, it seems to me um, if I were to do rents, okay. If I'm going to be a affiliate of these, ransomware as a service and I go and attack folks, help me understand. Yes. I know we all talk about, Oh, I want to get access to your bank accounts, but what else could there as a home person that I can relate to and say like, no, they're also looking for this in your house. Is it like um, passcodes, passwords is my first guess. Well, you could go to the creepiest example, which are the, uh, I think it was actually up in Dallas where they had one of those um, security tech guys, I forget which company he was talking about, but he was pointing cameras at people and then uh, filming them without their knowledge. You know, so he was, I don't know if he was compromising the devices, but there was the ring, uh, the ring doorbells. And I think a lot of those other ones where they were, you know, they, they were IOT devices, right. And they got hacked into, and you can use that information for whatever purposes you want. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, sort of prototypical example to be worried about, there would have been 
three that I would mention, Paul, you just mentioned one, which is you know, privacy. Certainly, a viol- that's probably the thing that's going to hit anybody the hardest, right? Is someone looking at me? Is someone listening to me? You know, those kinds of questions. Um, the second would be your uh, social security information, because a lot of people, you know, when you fill, fill out your taxes or fill out your mortgage paperwork or wh- whatever you're doing that you have to apply for credit, and that kind of paperwork is saved usually somewhere on some sort of local network. You know, yeah. people have it on their machine or whatever. And so getting access to that is something that um, people might want to worry about. The third thing is I think the most significant in terms of impact at a global scale, but the thing that the individual person probably is going to maybe care about the least, which is that attackers want to take over their devices and mobilize them in a botnet, which basically takes a large Resources. number of them and you know mobilize them in a in an attack where there's sort of all these devices working together you know does the individual care that much probably not uh unless their performance degrades but that is where things like there was a botnet that took down the internet on the east coast of the united states maybe like two years ago or something and that was because all these cheap internet connected devices had been compromised and pointed all this traffic in a way that you know essentially made the system unusable those are the kinds of things it's like, well, maybe I don't care about my particular device getting taken over, but I might care about if that's used in a way that then turns around and hurts me because I don't have access to my banking or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's an excellent point. I, I forgot to mention that. But yeah, no, taking using other people's resources is another innovation that the Internet has provided us. You know, it's because <laughs> they do a lot of the coin mining as well. You know, they were having those uh, browser extensions that would turn your laptop or your desktop into a crypto miner, you know, as it's not as relevant these days, I don't think. Um, but you know, it's you know primarily financial motivations, unfortunately, because that's you know everybody likes money. Yeah, and the you know the hard thing about this this topic is that so we we started on this part of the conversation talking about I don't think this was exactly your question, Sia, but uh, it was along the lines of like what should we do about it. And or whose responsibilities? I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but the thought that was going off my head at the time that we're sort of circling back to right now is really the responsibility to this. Because I totally agree with Paul that the average consumer is, even if they really want to go change their settings or whatever, like are they going to really be able to set up their home network appropriately? And I mean, probably not. Even people that work in information security have a hard time with that because they just focus on other things. The responsibility really lies with the manufacturers themselves. And that's the thing that's both the opportunity and what's disappointing about the opportunity. So it's the opportunity to say that here's a company, like literally a company that has person power resources, has financial resources, time resources. They can actually invest in hardening a device in a way that an individual consumer of that solution never would. Mm-hmm. So that's the opportunity. That's amazing. But the disappointment is that for many of them, they don't actually appropriately invest. And I don't mean to paint with a broad brush an entire industry, but let's just say the companies who are doing security right and securing connected devices, they're definitely out there and they're awesome. And I'm psyched to know a lot of them, but they're definitely in the minority. They are not the majority of the marketplace. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to the, the, you know, the movie Pulp Fiction or not Pulp Fiction, but, um, why am I blanking on the name? Fight Club. 
you know, where they're, you know, the main character in Fight Club, he was essentially working for the automotive industry, right? And they have a history of, you know, not doing recalls until there's a financial motivation for it. And I, I mean, as a driver of a car myself, I, I don't want to know that my car has essentially a bug in it that unless, you know, the bug is deadly enough or costly enough that the manufacturer won't fix, you know, and that's kind of the same attitude I've seen across multiple industries, you know, where they, they even, you know, they, they talk about it sometimes with the zero days, right? That the, the companies will pay the finders of the zero day exploits money and make them sign an NDA so that they don't disclose it and they don't actually have the intention of fixing it. Now, hopefully, you know, that's, uh, that's, a pattern that's going to change, you know, as they get exploited more and more, but it's a very complicated landscape because, you know, the government is one of the largest collectors of the zero days, you know, all the movie kind of stuff that you see, you know, Tom Cruise doing that's because, you know, the government used to have the largest collection of zero days, you know, until they, you know, accidentally leaked them, you know, and then they got to build that back up again, but it's, 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 it's an incredibly difficult field. Yeah. I love, I love what you just brought up, Paul, because it's such a significant issue, yet there's so much opportunity in it. And actually, the the entire core thrust of this book that I wrote, you know, that Hackable is about, is to try to change that mindset. Because mm-hmm. you're 100% right that the way that most companies think about security is they think about it as a cost to minimize, they think yeah. about it as like a tax on the business. And they're and like any tax, they're like, I want to pay less tax. So when they think about investing in security, they're, they think about it typically along the lines of what's the minimum that I can spend in order to do what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. But what companies actually need to do is they need to see it as an opportunity. And the opportunity that I argue, not just in my book, but I argue this in our security consulting practice. You know, we perform security assessments for companies trying to build better, more secure software. And the case I make in the book, the case I make to our customers is that a properly secured solution is actually a competitive advantage because the buyer of solutions, uh, enterprise buyers, you know, as you mentioned, Paul, the consumer might not care quite as much, but enterprise buyers of software systems, they want those software systems to be secure. So that's the first component. People want the things they buy to be secure. But the second component is almost nobody actually secures their solutions appropriately and is able to uh, describe that and prove it to their customer. And that was one of the things I was researching in my book. I actually put some statistics to it and it showed that of the um, the enterprise class apps that I looked at uh, within the scope of the small little study, only about 4% of them actually did security right and could prove it appropriately. So you compare those side by side and you're like, wow, 100% of the buyers want X, mm-hmm. but only 4% of suppliers can give them X. Mm. that's an enormous competitive advantage. Yeah. You can now provide X and X being demonstrate that you actually have a secure software solution. And so that's kind of one of the mindset shifts. I hope people walk away from today thinking differently about that. Cause Paul's hundred percent, right? Most people say, well, unless there's someone with a stick hitting me saying there's a penalty coming, they're not going to invest in it. Let's say, Hey, instead let's put the carrot over there that says, let's get after that carrot. Cause it's going to get us more customers faster. But okay, can I? But can I just argue though that I'm sorry, Paul. But could it be argued though if you say like, yeah, we are working with um, software providers that we know is secure. They've they've done do their due diligence and the development. 
if I were a hacker, put my hacker hat back on, I'd be like, haha, target challenge accepted. Don't you think a little bit of the, uh, do we have to be careful if we're going to be doing that where th then you are putting yourself out there as a target or are you always a target? It doesn't matter. You're always a target. You're That's always a target. And here's a strategy that does not work. Sticking your head in the sand. Well, by saying, if I say nothing and do nothing somehow, like I will be okay. That's just, that's never, ever going to work. But there's, you, you do bring up an important nuance, which is it's not just, it's not, so there's two parts. There's, you have to secure your solution and then you have to prove it. And part of proving it means you have to actually do that correctly. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of companies do incorrectly is they try to hide behind a lot of stuff that is nonsense, that is just straight up incorrect um, or does sort of attract the people to say challenge accepted. So a lot of companies will say things like, oh, bank level security or military grade encryption and stuff where it's like, what? That does, it's like the metaphor is, it's like if I drove, you know, uh, like a cheap Hyundai and I said, check this baby out. It has Rolls Royce grade tire pressure. <laughs> You'd be like, are you, wait, are you trying to say your Hyundai is a luxury car? I'm like, Rolls Royce grade, baby. And it's like, it has... Okay, maybe that one detail is shared, but it really doesn't tell you, really doesn't support the claim. And so that's a key part is you have to actually be authentic about what you're doing and you know, companies are doing it right. They're not saying we're unhackable. That's why I titled the book Hackable because I'm like, what's the opposite of unhackable? And so you're <laughs> well, not saying unhackable. You're saying, look, these are the things we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. Here's who we're working with. We're not claiming that we're like bulletproof because nobody is, but we're right. going above and beyond what everyone else is doing. Well, it's what I used to call checklist compliance, right? Like, oh, I'm safe because I bought these four different products. And mind you, I've even seen in some cases where they bought the products and, you know, misproperly or improperly configured them that actually made themselves even a bigger risk than they were trying to get away from in the first time, you know, first place. Because it's a systemic issue, right? You can't, and that's that's a big problem of the security industry, which I'm, I'm sure you mentioned in your book, you know, is that, everybody keeps trying to solve a, a, a systemic problem with point solutions. So you have millions in, you know, I'm obviously exaggerating, but you have tons and tons of these different point solutions that as a working together systemically don't do what you expect them to do, you know, and, and it's a process more than a silver. I, I, I like to, you know, live in here in Texas. I, I, I like to use the uh, silver bullet versus lead bullet. You know, everybody is, is selling the silver bullet. Like, you know, you use my silver bullets and it'll get rid of all the bad guys, you know, where it's more like, no, you need to shoot a lot of different tinier lead bullets. And then in a coordinated way to get the, you know, to, to get at the problem. So, okay, it sounds like very clearly, and, and we all know this, it's not just one, there's no magic bullet, like, as you say, to, to solve it all. It's multi-layered, it's got to be concerted, orchestrated. Can I ask one question that I didn't even think about this? How does, and this is a very rudimentary question, and stop laughing at me, I know you're going to. How does one know they got exploited? Like, when does, how do we know at that point of like, uh, we just got hit? We got, what's that recognition point? What typically is it, you guys, that, that, that lets us know when something's gone down? Do you guys know? It, it, well, the, the unfortunate answer is it depends, 
right? Like the the solar, because we'll we'll pick on solar winds because you know that's probably going to be the theme for the next year or two at least. If that keeps on giving, thank you. If it does, you know that that was only publicized because FireEye got caught up in it, right? And FireEye happens to be the company you call when you get hacked. You know, so they they publish their stuff, and then everybody else said, "Oh, wait a minute." You know, th- these people have been in here for, you know, nine months or whatever it was, the majority of 2020, you know, and it was disclosed in December-ish, you know, so it's, they, they wouldn't have, I guess the dirty secret is, and I learned this when I was doing a lot of healthcare consulting, is they don't talk about when the breaches happened, you know, you, uh, unless they have a regulatory issue to report on that, right? Because they don't, it, it damages your brand. So a lot of times the companies, if it's a small enough financial loss that doesn't destroy them, they'll just accept it and try to put it under the table. Mm -hmm. They won't actually mention it to the rest of the world, even though, you know, if they had actually mentioned it, then other people would have been able to, uh, you know, protect against it. So it's it's unfortunately not a clear answer. Yeah, it usually isn't an outside force, right? It's like you read about it in the news and you're like, that's my stuff. Okay, great. Um, I mean, there are tools that indicate when maybe data has been exfiltrated or things like that. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. It's usually some, someone else tells you. Oh, that's, so, that's so frightening, which goes back to, I, I guess, call me the tinfoil head. Trust no one. And, <laughs> you know, uh, everything that you see, you have to question, which is kind of a sad, sad, um, you know, well, that's, I mean, that's zero trust in a word right there, right? Like trust no one. I mean, that's the premise of it. Have no devices, trust the other devices. Cause that's, you know, they always talk about lateral movement once you get into a network, right? That's right. And if you, and, but the, once you see that trigger, but having that ability to, you know, we, we've talked about props to Eric Gap because they are a sponsor, you know, the ransomware kill switch, for example, right? I mean, is it something where, um, and, and it's not necessarily just around uh, air gap, but in general, if you have that kill switch, once you get that trigger, you recognize something's happened. There is a value to be able to shut everything off at that point in time, either that device or w- network or whatever, right? Or segmented network. Why hasn't this concept of kill switch been more prevalent, you guys? Um, at least for me, what I, I've not really heard much about it in cybersecurity, or am I just not educated? Well, no, it's a, diff- it's a very difficult problem. Like if you, if, you know, just trying to do, uh, let's turn it around, right? Like just a large company trying to do updates to their laptops, right? You can't get every, you know, there's, there's always an, an expected number of, you know, individuals in the company that won't have the most up-to-date security stuff on there. So eventually at some point you have to cut them off and force them to do the security updates, you know, cause there's always the, Hey, I, you know, uh, we'll make fun of the Apple phone, right? Hey, I see you have a security update. Do you want to put it now? You're like, no, I'm busy watching YouTube. I'm I'll the worst that. for that. I'm the worst. I'm guilty. I get it. You know, so yeah. it's, it, that's kind of the same thing is like, you, you don't like one of the surprising facts that came out from the solar wind attacks is like companies don't even have an inventory of all their assets. Hmm. Think about how, how insane that is. Like you, you don't know how many laptops you have that have access to your internal network. That is, that is bizarre. That is frightening. So, I, again, I, I you know, just, 
just talking about this cracks me up quite a bit because it seems so doom and gloom, but there are ways that you can mitigate. There are ways you can protect yourself. The biggest thing is education, but you know, that I see is just be aware to know what to look out for and then put processes in place. Ted, with your book hackable, it really sounds like you kind of laid out very cleanly on what, you know, what we can do and how businesses can go and proceed to have at least the best foot forward when it comes to cybersecurity. How can we get a hold of you um, for those that want to learn more about you, Ted, or obviously get a hold of your book? <laughs> yeah, the easiest would just be to go to hackablebook.com and anything we talked about today, if it triggered questions, you want to get a, um, you know, reach out or contact me if you want to talk about how we could help with security assessments, you want to buy the book, that's all right there, just hackablebook.com. Awesome. And um, social media, any, are you anywhere in social media? Yeah, all my stuff's there too. My LinkedIn handles, my uh, LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time, but LinkedIn and Twitter is all there, email address. There's like 18 different ways to get a hold of me. So, Well, you know, I mean, just say it's on the website and then as security people are like, yeah, we know it, got it, done. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Fredrickson, as always, I do appreciate you helping me out um, clearly because there are times when I just absolutely have no idea how to get down this path, but you guys really help center me and help me take my tinfoil hat at times. So I appreciate you. Always so, Thank you. On that note, I think that wraps it up because it's another quick 30 minutes there of the ransomware battleground. Have a great next time, guys. See ya.